fact of life right now is that science gathers knowledge faster than society gathers wisdom. Isaac Asimov. Welcome to a new episode of The Researcher's Story, an exploration into the science labs of India, a conversation with some of our best minds where a scientist will finally get to be the hero of the show. Edward Taylor, the famous theoretical physicist, once said, the science of today is the technology of tomorrow. And we've had numerous examples of that. Today we have with us a young researcher, an entrepreneur, who is transforming science into the technology of today and tomorrow. Please welcome Dr. Pardeep Garg, founder, Urubu Labs and Concept Tech Private Limited to the show. Welcome Dr. Pardeep, it's an honor to have you here. Thanks, Rudis. Thanks for the nice introduction. It's really appreciated. Your, this initiative is really nice to have young researchers and you know researchers from other domains on the podcast platform. Um, yes, it's really nice to be here. Thank you. Thanks a lot. So, let me just tell you, this is the fourth episode of the podcast and you are the youngest guest that we've had. So, good to see you. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That's a privilege. Yeah, I mean, it just feels like, you know, I'm having a conversation with a colleague of mine, so. <laughs> yes, yeah. Thank you. thank you very much. Yeah. So, uh, uh, very interesting is you are a mechanical engineer by qualification and uh, in your PhD you chose to work in the field of solar power. Uh, was there any specific reason for you to do so? Uh, how was your experience as a PhD student in India? And any other specific challenges that you faced? Uh-huh. So, yes, I am a mechanical engineer by qualification, did my bachelor's from Government College of Engineering, Faridabad, and post that I joined Indian Institute of Science Bangalore for my master's and eventually PhD program as well. Uh, during my master's program, I happened to join Professor Prabhupada Dutta's heat transfer lab for my master's thesis work, basically, which was in 2011. Uh, Professor Prabhupada Dutta at that time was involved in projects related to solar energy. And there was a big consortium that was being formed for accelerating the growth of solar thermal technologies in India around my master's thesis time between the Indian government and the U.S. government, uh, led by academic institutions uh, from both the countries uh, in collaboration with private industry partners and, you know, many think tanks. Uh, I was lucky to be at ISC uh, when this project called CGS was being initiated, and uh, this is how Basically, I got involved in solar-related projects. Uh, post my master's, Professor Pradeep Dutta and Professor Kandanai Shiriniwasan, with whom I used to work at the, you know, um, the greater length, they suggested that I could uh, pursue my pursue my work uh, in the form of a PhD degree uh, while working on solar-related projects. So that's how basically I got involved in PhD program. Uh, well, coming to PhD experience uh, in India, as such. Um, PhD is always a unique experience. It is very, it is a very well designed program to teach one how to conduct research. Professor Pradeepatta, in fact, used to say that, uh, and I quote: uh, "Of course, you learn how to conduct research on your own problem, but also it teaches you how to tackle any problem in general." As such, um, mm-hmm. at times when it's supposed to hit a wall in one's research work and speculate probably for many days hunt for the next clue, uh, which may come after months also, probably at times. So, um, speaking on a personal level, my PhD experience uh, was a, was really wonderful in many senses. Uh, I was really lucky to get a very wide exposure, uh, which generally is not the case. So, I'm really lucky that way. Um, 
uh, I got the opportunity to visit uh, foreign universities, MIT twice for three semesters, uh, University of South Florida, Tampa. And I also got opportunity to attend many conferences, uh, once in San Diego in the U.S. and once in Belgium. Um, so uh, PhD experience in home was really great. Uh, also, I got to uh, got an opportunity to work uh, with a think tank called C-Step. Uh, it's Bangalore-based think tank, mm-hmm. and that's where I learned how to, you know, in link technology indicators to the economic indicators. Okay. Um, so, so the overall experience was really good. Uh, got the sense how uh, projects are done in market, and I was really also lucky to get the Um Yeah, so it was really a great experience. Talking mm, um, about challenges faced, uh, um, nothing in particular per se. Um, uh, but one thing if I could add uh, here is that projects in academia are generally not computed. Uh, um, may not be true in all cases, but I could say probably mostly. Um, it seems to me that in spite of having abundance of funding opportunity in, in Indian research space, uh, some of these projects won't properly get concluded. So uh, it would be nice if the, the projects could be concluded to the last one. So probably that's the only thing I would probably could add here. Yeah, I mean, somewhere it does make sense what you say, uh, you know, five years, three to five years is probably a good enough time, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Great. So it's a pretty, it's a pretty good amount of time, and uh, you know you tend to emotionally also get attached to projects at times. Right. So, right. so you want to see those projects going, uh, uh, you know, in a certain direction. You want them to be concluded. So yeah, that's the part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean that 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 does make sense. I mean, uh, if, when I used to be in my lab, I I also used to have the same feeling. You know that. Uh, PhD at least should be somewhere where, you know, you should be able to probably scale, put out a project which could be, you know, scaled up, at least scaled up to the pilot level when you're finishing it up. If it's an, if it's a more, uh, applied science based, uh, project. I mean, basic science you understand, it's, it's more about basic research, but an application or applied science would probably be good if it's, uh, you know, put out as, as a pilot project at least. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that, that really makes sense. Too, right, right. So uh, you mentioned a lot of universities. I'm kind of like uh, scratching my head now. So the one that I could catch was MIT. So, so you got an opportunity to work over there. And uh, can you tell us about how that experience was? And, uh, you know, what's the major difference when it comes to how we do research in India versus probably in the States? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So... Uh, Thanks for your question. Uh, yes, uh, I did get uh, opportunity to spend three semesters at MIT. Of course, MIT experience was great. Um, I always say that it was Professor Kandadesh Shrinivasan who taught me thermodynamics. I, am, oh, I owe to him uh, whatever I know in thermodynamics is because of him. And that's today probably my bread and butter as well. Uh, but it was Dr. Matthew S. Rose, my MIT mentor, who who saw that while I could solve these hard technical problems, but I would need to also require to link these uh, technical problems to economic uh, problem, economic indicators. Mm-hmm. Um, so he really motivated me to come up with the techno-commercial aspects of things. 
Uh, he himself runs a non-profit organization called SPG International Solar Turbine Group. Okay. Um, uh, he he uh, he basically is dedicated to help a country called Lesotho, the landlocked country in the Africa continent, uh, mm-hmm. to become energy uh, sufficient using solar PV. Okay. So he is greatly involved in such projects there. Um, he till date remains a you know really good ment- uh, mentor, a prior collaborator. So my MIT experience was really great um, as such. Um, coming to your second question, when we compare the research quality of Indian institutions uh, per se with the US institutions, I would like to hold the opinion that it's mostly the same. In fact, Indian research system can be quite rigorous at times. Uh, for example, if I could give you two examples maybe. Um, the selection process for PhD program in India is based on technical exams. Uh, you know, mostly gate, uh, 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 along with the personal interview process. Mm-hmm. But in the U.S., it is mostly through the aptitude-based test, GRE, along with other technical parameters. Of course, right. uh, for example, how did one perform uh, in his or her master's or bachelor's program? Right. Um, uh, another instance I collect is uh, in one particular year, uh, Department of Mechanical Engineer at ISC uh, had an intake of only three. There is a number of professors there over 30, so uh, it is it can be quite competitive as number of seats in Indian universities can be quite low also at times. Mm-hmm. So so Indian system as such is pretty rigorous also. Yeah, uh, I would also say that uh, research environment in both the places is mostly the same, uh, but maybe as I mentioned earlier, uh, Indian universities probably score slightly low on concluding the projects they undertake. Mm-hmm. Um, a tighter due diligence on project progress is something that is uh, perhaps required. Uh, also, the focus could be probably more on the tangible output, uh, like you know, converting ideas into startups, uh, not merely into publications. Uh, could be you know uh, that's where I guess U.S. system differs from Indian universities. Uh, US, U.S. universities are really good at, uh, you know, converting ideas into startups as well. So yeah. Indian, Indian universities have started doing that, but it, it will take probably a while, while I'm sure we will reach there, I guess. Makes sense. I mean, uh, if you look around, most of the technologies that we see uh, come from, you know, U.S. or any other such developed countries, right? In spite of, if you re-look re- at the number of PhD students that we have in our country, and the number of projects that we uh, carry out, it's probably equivalent to what they do out out in the states, right? But um, yeah. technology-wise, they they are the ones who come up with the things first. So, yeah, I mean, it does make sense that way. Yes, it's also like you know, as soon as if I could add here, uh, uh, Indians in the US, was, uh, like there is there, there are good amount of uh, Indian professors and students in the US universities or or in UK or otherwise. Uh, that are good universities. So Indian assets perform really good uh, in those countries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's just probably here the system needs to be a bit more, uh, you know, needs to have a bit more due diligence and the projects need to be concluded in a project in a proper manner. Right, right. Okay, so now comes the interesting part that you come back to India and uh, you since then have dedicated yourself to building technology-based startups. I think this is probably some somewhere uh, continuing the discussion about how technologies don't get built in India, but you've kind of, uh, you know, traded that path and uh, 
trying you know uh, probably go against the wind when when it comes to building technology based startups so what was the motivation behind that and uh, also tell us something about your first company uh, uh, and expropriate technology uh, so how was that conceptualized um yes sir so honestly speaking my uh, i guess i'm trained you know uh, for technology development related projects and i should utilize my skills uh, to earn uh, my living um, mm-hmm. and basically that's my major motivation i tend to think that probably uh, i could have done nothing else uh, this okay. is this is the only thing i am trained to do so so uh, and i'm doing that idea so that's how it is working out for me at the moment uh, so coming back to why coming back to india well i had the chance to stay back there um but i was i was already engaged in you know building plans with my then lab mate friend and now to be prashant kumar who 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 is really uh, you know an incredible genius uh, to start something of our own and uh, he he also kind of motivated me uh, uh, to come up with startups and uh, that's that's how i really got basically invited to startup domain i really liked working with you know full freedom with my colleague prashant mm-hmm. uh, and and we decided to work together there after my guess and uh, but, but then i joined phd program uh, i joined phd program with the intention to you know join later as a faculty member or and basically become a full time researcher uh, but by the time i was graduating from iit in 2016 um, i never really gave a serious thought to explore options in that direction um, um in fact now that i'm not in academia at times i feel like uh, i miss i miss that environment i really miss those deep technical conversations that we had at cafeteria of our university so you know culture could be yeah um, uh, those discussions could really go for hours and hours and really technical discussions so uh, so in that environment in my life is because academia is but is where you can really you, you really get to you know have that experience right uh, one of the topics i turned in my phd was on supercritical carbon dioxide uh, based thermal power cycles uh, it is proposed to be world's most compact system when it comes to thermal power generation uh, mechanisms um uh, for example if if we build a supercritical base here to power plant today uh, it will occupy a volume which is 100 times less than the steam based turbine solution would take okay. and steam based turbine solutions are what is what are the most common ones today so right. so there is a big motivation because with volume cutting down by 100 times the material of requirement can also come down so so can come down the pu and associated with the turbine and other systems right so the system cost can also be really less so there is huge motivation to uh, you know develop uh, system based on supercritical cycle cycles but these systems are uh, uh, today primarily in their early stage uh, there are two three places in the whole world today where these systems are there at lab scale Uh, at best 50 megawatt from sandia national labs in the us um, um they, they have developed super critical co2 uh, cycles for basically nuclear applications uh, uh, so uh, 
I was always curious about this this topic of my PhD in research. Uh, you know, what best we can achieve with this technology, supercritical CO2, if we employ uh, this technology in the market. So we came up with uh, new thermodynamic cycles, which could bring the efficiency of existing CCDT systems combined cycle gas turbine systems, uh, you know, from 62% to 72%. So there was this big, huge jump of about 10% in efficiency, uh, uh, which we foresee. Uh, and 10% uh, uh, jump on absolute scale uh, it actually means about 20% on uh, uh, relative scale, which okay. means that uh, carbon emissions could be cut down by 20% and so on. Uh, right. So, uh, so basically, we formed a paper company uh, called Nextopy based on this idea. Okay. The paper company is nothing but where we don't have any other asset but a patent application, the IP basically. Okay. So uh, it took me a lot of time to come up with uh, uh, a strong application as patent patent services are not quite really up to the mark in Indian system, okay. Indian environment. Um, so, uh, and there were a lot of constraints also on us that, you know, we couldn't, we couldn't file multiple applications. We had, whatever we have, uh, in terms of innovation, in terms of embodiment, we have to file those in just one application. So it took us quite some time to come up with the claim section, uh, in the patent. That's basically the core of the patent section. Um, uh, um, anyway, the patent really went well. Uh, but, uh, but it's just that we couldn't really commercialize the concept as our technology demanded significant material changes. Uh, and uh, gas industry, which is not doing assets good because of, you know, thrust on renewable projects, wind, solar, PV. Uh, so there is not enough demand for gas turbine-based power plants today. Uh, in fact, the CEGR is not even positive these days for these uh, systems. Okay. Uh, so so, so it, it couldn't really be commercialized. But I had a huge learning curve in on IPR in general. Uh, the, I, you know the whole philosophy of patenting assets, uh, coming up with strong patents, uh, uh, writing good applications. Mm -hmm. So uh, um, yeah, to, to, and this skill of mine is helping me out even today at my other workplaces, Sunset and Urugu. That's that's interesting. I think. Somewhere it's concept, right? Uh, your first attempt at anything should be a failure because you learn the most out of failures. So, yeah. Uh, exactly. So, and now you are heading to companies, uh, Sunset Tech and Urabu Labs. And uh, both work in the field of auto management, right? So, can you... Yeah. So, Suraj actually, so Sunset works in PV. Um, okay. solar PV and Urubu works in water management. All right, all right. So, I mean, how did the whole idea come up, and you know, what's the motivation to work in this, uh, in these, you know, specific sectors? You know, more like more of an advanced and more uh, social, probably kind of sectors. So, what's the motivation mm -hmm. behind these? Sure. Uh, so, at Sunset, uh, we are trying to come up with a new PV technology. So what happens today in PV based for thermal power plant, uh, PV based power plants today is that, uh, out, let's say out, uh, PV power plant costs 100 rupees. So out of 100 rupees, 60 rupees is a cost of silicon, silicon vapor based module. Okay. And within that, silicon cost is about 40 rupees. So right. 40 rupees 
40 rupees out of 100 rupee transaction are basically imported today. So silicon is the item that we import today from okay. either China or other countries as a Germany and so so uh, in solar PV plants, what happens today is, as I mentioned, 40% is almost imported and rest 60% is uh, done within India. So what we are trying to come up uh, at Sunset is uh, we're trying to reduce the requirement of PV cell as such while generating the same amount of power. So what we do is we concentrate radiation, solar radiation by 20 times on solar PV panel. So basically, mm -hmm. the TV requirement then comes down by 20 times. Okay. So in the imports now, instead of 40 percent, they go to basically 2 percent imports. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 but, uh, yeah, but there were significant techn te technical challenges in this uh, technology, as in we uh, the current current carrying densities of the cells have to be also enhanced by the same magnitude, which is 20. So so cells need to be you know uh, properly customized and trained. Uh, in thermal sciences, so but it really became a became an electronic project for, okay. for me. Okay. Uh, so so. And how yeah. does how does the like uh, just to get the hang of how uh, the business model works over here? Uh, if you're basically making the PV cells and selling those cells, is it? No. So basically, we are not in the uh, selling stage yet. Okay. So what we what we have done is we have developed one pilot a pilot prototype. Okay. Of 300 watt capacity. Okay. So there we are able to prove the efficiencies that we have targeted, and based on that we have come up with the economic projections. Okay. Uh, and so what, what our economic projections suggest that uh, um, today uh, one megawatt power plant uh, based on solar PV costs around four crore rupees when installed in hundreds of megawatt range. Okay. Uh, and with our system, the cost would be around three crore rupees. Uh, the majority, the majority of the cost cutting is coming from basically cutting the silicon requirement. Right. Silicon is the most expensive item. Right. So, so we we are presently at a testing stage, uh, and uh, um, we hope to come in the market in another two years. Right. Uh, yeah. And okay. we are targeting utility scale PV systems with uh, with this technology, uh, wherein we we can install install such systems in you know acres and acres of land together. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. so that's about sunset. Makes sense. I mean, uh, we uh, just to mention that you know, our country has a solar uh, energy project, right? Uh, I think it was solar project 2020 where we were supposed to have complete independence as far as the solar energy production in our country is concerned. So I think this is a great step in that direction. You know, economically, as technologies can become cheaper and our import uh, duties can import costs can come down, that really you know that's that's something that probably uh, any government would love to have so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you, for that. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is also in you know in line with the policy thrust today post COVID situation. Right. Uh, at the central government level. So so it's so the the policies are actually favoring us. So exactly. That's, yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, coming to yes, coming coming to Uruguay's case. So you know, as we see today uh, in the market, that we we have the option of getting renewable electricity from options like PV or wind, but we don't have any such option in the water sector. Uh, nobody says that you know this is renewable water. Uh, so so that, that that's what Urugu is about. We are trying to come up with uh, for the first time something called renewable water. Why do we call it renewable, and you know what are the aspects here? 
So uh, presently we, we are mostly dependent on RO. In RO, what happens is about two to three liters of water gets wasted uh, for every one liter of water that we generate. And the wastage of water that, that happens is generally goes back to the ground, which makes groundwater even more saline in terms of you know TDS. Um, uh, this may look like a small problem today, but uh, it is it is appearing as a big problem in few places, for example, Australia. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what we are trying to do is at Uruguay is we are trying to extract water from humidity in air uh, while using solar energy. So both the aspects are renewable here. Basically, okay. you know, uh, air has got abundance amount of uh, water. Uh, we can almost treat it as uh, as a renewable source of water. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the, the energy processes that drive the whole scheme of things. Uh, uh, are also coming from solar energy, solar thermal energy. Okay. So these two aspects make our water really sustainable and renewable. Uh, and we, we, we call our water near 100% renewable water. Uh, we, we wish to bring this option to the option of renewable water to the market for the first time in the world. Um, Interesting. Uh, and, uh, yes. Uh, so a number of beverage industries have actually shown interest in using such water. Uh-huh. Uh, in the book beverage production. Okay. Uh, so, for example, while while we brew one liter of beer, almost four liters of water is used to in the brewing process. Uh, so there is a lot of pressure on beverage industry, which use a lot of you know uh, water at a at centralized schemes, yeah. uh, at centralized plants, uh, to cut down the water footprint. Um, uh, so that's where we are, we, we are able to help them. Uh, we will be able to, uh, you know, help them cut down their water requirements, uh, water burden on the on environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and uh, this could also be one of the branding points uh, because our water is near renewable water, near 100% renewable water. Mm-hmm. So uh, our customers, uh, our clients, beverage-based, industry-based clients, seem to suggest that uh, they, they want to launch, uh, for example, beer, as, they want to call it beer from here. So be here, be here. Mm-hmm. So, so, so the concept that, like that. So, so that sounds that so, sounds good, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So basically, basically, that's what this company is about. We are trying to uh, uh, make water renewable. Also, mm-hmm. at Urugu, we are trying to diversify into air conditioning space, cooling space. Okay. Uh, just to give you some, you know, few numbers. Uh, India, uh, because of you know lack of cooling cooling uh, air conditioning in Indian market, the estimated loss of productivity is about 0.5 trillion dollars, mm-hmm. about 500 billion dollars. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's quite natural that human beings don't feel comfortable if the temperature and the humidity is not uh, up to the mark around them, are not up, up to the mark uh, around them. Right. So productivity comes back. So, so uh, and in air conditioning, the problem is the majority of the cost comes from the operating cost, uh, is, is the operating cost, which is basically the electricity bill associated with the air conditioners. Right. So they are, they are trying to come up with new types of air conditioners, uh, which can reduce the uh, air condition electricity bill by uh, you know four times, uh, while keeping the capex of those uh, air conditioner things. Mm-hmm. While those refrigerators, those air conditioners do exist uh, in market, uh, you know, in parts and parcels, but the problem with such air conditioners is that they, those refrigerators require lot, or those air conditioners require lot of water. Basically, they run on water. They consume 400 liters of water per day, 
to uh, generate 1.5 tons of cooling for the whole day. Mm-hmm. So it's a huge amount of water. Basically, we are replacing electricity with water. We are evaporating water basically. So what we have come up with is uh, we are trying to hybridize air conditioners with the uh, you know absorption systems for generating water. So what our system would do is our system would basically be a compost system. It would be an air conditioner plus water, wherein the air conditioning cost would be way less, uh, about four times less in terms of electricity bills. And water will be generated for, uh, at the cost of uh, about 1.5 rupees per liter. Okay. So, so this is another product that we are working on in the room. Yeah, I mean, these this seem to be very, very interesting technologies. And in these times where we know how, you know, water management has become a key issue, you know, in, in a lot of developing and developed countries as well, right? I mean, this last year we had a report where most of, like more than 20 of our cities were expected to go, you know, totally zero groundwater levels. Um, so it, it's, it's a scary situation. And so new technologies are the need of the hour if we have to, uh, you know, tackle these situations. So, I mean, it, it sounds like very rosy, but uh, let's just take a deep breath and talk about what are the challenges. So obviously, uh, a technology-based company in India isn't easy. So, and I'm sure it, it involves a lot of, you know, acad- academia and industry collaboration and a lot of those initiatives because developing a technology is all about, first of all, research and a lot of lab work and iterations, right? So tell us more about how, how, how what are the challenges that you're facing these days? Yes. Uh, you're right, Suresh, that, you know, picture look really rosy, but then, of course, there are many thrones Uh, mm-hmm. uh, we require for a particular heat exchanger, 
uh, and um, if, if you don't tell them the heat exchanger area, but you tell them that this is the heat transfer coefficient we are expecting, they will be able to come up with heat transfer area required for our application on their own. So okay. there is huge technology technical support that is available in China today. Mm -hmm. uh, the majority of the calculations they can perform uh, for us and verify verify returns. Mm -hmm. Because Indian companies are not really trained to go in depth. Uh, you know, it may take a chain of four or five phone calls on four or five different days uh, within a vendor company to get you know to get to ask detailed technical things. Uh, but we may, may not get get get, get answers. So these are, I guess, few challenges, but not as such really big. Um, yes. So that that makes sense. Yeah. Uh huh. That makes sense. I mean, uh, those issues that you're talking about yes. do make sense. Yeah. So, so these are basically few operational challenges that uh, that are there today. But I'm sure, like you know, in time, like let's say in ten years or so. Uh, Indian manufacturing industry uh, in general would be more systematic and uh, less fragmented uh, and more efficient. Uh, so there is, um, yeah, true. So coming back to coming back to you know, you uh, asked what are the uh, challenge? How, how does industry academia collaboration look like today? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so mostly my work today is related to technology development. Uh, it certainly involves an element of research, but I, as such, I'm not associated with academia uh, these days. But what I hear is that uh, uh, industry academia collaboration is increasing day by day. It is very important to have this collaboration going on between these two partners uh, because its result has got greater chances of you know reducing. Uh, technology dependence on other countries and generating wealth within the country. Right. So it can it has huge uh, opportunity. It has got huge implications on you know cutting the imports as well. So, but I guess what I guess is uh, the collaboration can be further accelerated uh, with more trust from the industry side in academia in in Indian academia mm -hmm. and more economic based economics based throughput from academia. Industry basically, right? Basically, both the part and partners understand their concerns well. So, I guess there is no reason the, the industry academic collaboration should not uh, pick up. Absolutely, absolutely. You're you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, you know, a lot of this research going forward could be oriented in a way that it you know really helps the uh, industry uh, solutions, right? The industry is definitely taking a lot of solutions, and it's not always possible that you have a well-established research lab in the industry itself, which can come up with solutions. So uh, it does make a lot of sense. Um, I mean, we did talk about operational challenges and you know funding challenges, but one thing which I've always uh, found uh, interesting is personal challenges or as a researcher is concerned when you're developing such things, right? It's it's never easy. It's not like a day's work, right? Uh, that, you know, you just have uh, a magic wand and, you know, the technology comes up. So there's a lot of iterations to and fro. Uh, so I, I really want to understand how, how do you manage personal challenges, uh, you know, mental challenges? How do you, how do you cope with all these uh, failures? You know, sometimes you all also get self-doubts, right? Uh, how do you uh, cope up with those things? 
Yes. So, um, you're very right that, you know, failures are part of uh, a researcher's life. They are a big part of, in fact, a researcher's life. Um, we designed so many experiments, simulations in labs, uh, and not of all of those result in successful iteration. And, uh, the, sometimes I, the number of iterations required are huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so I myself had faced one failure, first failure in you know my first startup, Nextopy uh, Technologies. Right. Uh, uh, I guess there is there are a lot of variables that are out of our control, and we have to understand this fact that we 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 can just do our part basically. Yeah. Um, uh, for example, speaking speaking of the recent situation, COVID-19. COVID-19 caused many businesses to shut down in front of our eyes. Right. Um, uh, and that business, I did not necessarily mean a big company, uh, basically, you know, even a uh, roadside tea, tea seller is, a business, is also a businessman. Right. He's also running a business. So, so failure is part of life. And um, um, uh, I, I guess one just has one just have to has to move on to the next experiment. I guess. Yeah. True. That's true. To conclude. Uh, Looking back on your journey until now, I'm sure it's there, there's a long road ahead. But until now, if you, if you just look back and uh, think about it, what would you, uh, you know, what would your message be to all the upcoming researchers in our country? Mm-hmm. So, um, I'm not, I'm, my research experience is just limited to basically, let's say, 10 years. Yeah. So uh, I, these are my personal opinions. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, I, uh, so uh, I think Indian research, as such, is Indian research community as such is doing really good. Mm-hmm. The budding researchers are re- doing really good. Earlier, we see research was you know only limited to PhD program or master's program. Yeah. But today, even in even in bachelor's program, students wish to publish paper, uh, a paper or two. Uh, for whatever reasons, but they wish to do that. So, so I guess research is now being pushed not only from research is not just limited to bachelor uh, master's program, but is also getting shifted towards you know uh, some, uh, bachelor's and master's program. So, uh, as such, there is this good exposure. Uh, one thing I could say here is that publication quality in India is really good on both the parameters as such in quantity as well as quality. Uh, if I could say that publications, uh, but publications should not be the only metrics for researchers in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, at times I have seen that, you know, there is over-emphasis that is given on how many number of papers one has got, in which journal one has got published this paper or yes. his or her paper. Uh, I'm not saying these parameters are not important, but uh, but sometimes it is overdone and it kills the enthusiasm of doing research. Right. It seems like a number game at times. Uh, so, so that is one factor. Uh, another thing is, you know, there is this impact factor, uh, impact factor journals, for example, and sometimes students tend to compare, researchers tend to compare um, uh, different fields of science. For example, a computer science, uh, computer science researcher may be debating with a, with a uh, physics or medicine basis or so. Mm-hmm. So here, the, the computer scientists generally publish papers in, the, in journals where the impact factor is less than one or yeah. sometimes less than two. Uh, uh, but physics or medicine-based researchers are able to publish, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, their 
papers and journals which have got impact factor more than 10 PNS science nature. Yeah. Uh, so, and sometimes researchers get motivated, you know, uh, since computer science uh, domain doesn't have, that doesn't have a uh, high impact factor journals. So probably I should shift to medicine-based research uh, so that mm-hmm. I can also be able to publish in PNS or nature communication or sciences. Yeah. So, so I guess that is not really the objective here. So these are the parameters we should not really care about. Right. should care about is, uh, you know, tangible throughput eventually. Absolutely. I think that's the message that we can take from today's uh, podcast, right? That it doesn't really matter uh, about, you know, the numbers. What matters is yeah. how significant your work can be and uh, how how you can convert whatever science you're learning into tangible technologies that can affect the society as a whole. Uh-huh. Yes. Absolutely. I think it was it was great uh, talking to you. Uh, you know um, um, about all these all these issues, and you know your your story is really inspiring. And moreover, uh, you being uh, from our generation itself, that is really something that you know can inspire a lot of lot of people uh, coming into the research industry. So thanks a lot for joining uh, with us, and it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. Yeah, thank you. It was really, you know, uh, wonderful speaking to you, which really does really a great, uh, you know, uh, amount of topics. So thank you very much for having me on your show. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.